You are listening to a presentation of Streams Church in Goodyear, Arizona. For more audio and visual content, go to streamschurch.org. And now, Pastor Lloyd Baker. I uh, feel 100%, and so I uh, started looking at our future sermon plans. And every uh, so often, the guys who speak uh, get together, and we plan on our sermons for the future. And I looked on our spreadsheet to see what was coming up and what I was going to be speaking on because I just was getting to that place. And it said spiritual growth series. And that's all it said. And I'm like, is it spiritual growth series or is it spiritual growth series? And, and so I called Pastor Allen and I said, can you give me a heads up? Because I've been in a fog. I'm not quite sure. What were we thinking when we decided to do a spiritual growth series after I came back? And he said, well, it was supposed to be a series based on the deep incredible insights that you received during your sabbatical this summer. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, which guy came up with that idea? <laughs> so here's my deep spiritual insight. Don't get infected with a death-threatening <laughs> bacteria in a foreign country, okay? So let's pray and we'll take the, never, the next several weeks off because that's all I have on that one. Um, needless to say, I was a tad preoccupied, but this week I prayed and remembered a uh, sermon series I did nine years ago um, that I, I got some insight from Andy Stanley's series that he had did on the Ten Commandments. It really opened my heart and soul to a great understanding, a greater understanding of God, especially how God revealed himself in the Old Testament. Because when I say that we're going to study the Ten Commandments, I know what happens. Immediately your mind will track to performance-based acceptance by God because you just don't mess around with the Big Ten. I better obey the Ten Commandments. Because God's up there with a checklist in one hand and a lightning bolt in the other hand. He's just ready for somebody to mess up so he can obliterate anybody who does. And the problem is, many of you here can't even remember the top ten, right? <laughs> and you're like, I, I know there's something about not stealing. You shouldn't steal. And I stole some candy when I was six, but I'm pretty sure there's a statute of limitations on that, so I should be okay with that one. Um, I'm, there's something about coveting in there, but I don't even know what that means, so I think I'm off the hook because of ignorance. Uh, my mom quoted number five all the time to me about obeying your parents, but everybody breaks that one, so I should be okay with that. I know there's something about murder. I shouldn't murder, and I shouldn't commit adultery, and I haven't done that. And you go, well, wait a second, Jesus said something about if I hate and I lust that I've broken those commandments. You're like, ah, oh, rats, I've already, you know. And there's this widespread assumption that is prevalent with most even world religions. In order to find credibility and acceptance with God, we better behave ourselves. Uh, it takes on different forms, but it all boils down to the same notion. God is great, God is good, and people tend to be bad. So we better constantly improve and adhere to his rules uh, if we want him to love us, to bless us, to accept us. It weaves our, our, its way even to our public, popular culture. I mean, even Santa Claus won't hang out with us if we haven't been good, right? And so you better be good for goodness sake. You better not be bad because he's always watching. So there's this notion that we have. And, and the question is, where did that notion come from? That in order to receive acceptance from God... To get him to heal our children, to bless our life, to financially take care of us, to save our soul, we'd better adhere to a certain set of rules and regulations. Ones we can't remember, don't understand, and really have a difficult time obeying. 
And here's an even bigger problem. Did you know there's more than 10 commandments in the Old Testament? In fact, there's 632, or 613, I'm sorry, in the Mosaic Laws from Exodus to Deuteronomy. It's overwhelming. Uh, if you read them all, it's inconceivable. And even the Israelites had a hard time thinking they could figure it out, even when Moses came and gave them, gave them the Ten Commandments. And so Exodus chapter 20, verse 18, talks about their response to the Ten Commandments. <clears throat> when people saw the thunder and lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain and smoke, they trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance and said to Moses, Speak to us yourself and we will listen. But do not have God speak to us or we will die. And Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. And that's really an odd statement by Moses. Don't be afraid because God has come to make you afraid so that you won't sin. (laughs) Remember their journey? God hasn't spoken to them in 400 years. They were slaves. And all they knew were taskmasters who told them what to do and severely punished them if they didn't obey. They had just crossed the Red Sea and they looked back and this whole army got wiped out. This was not the first time that Moses came down with the Ten Commandments. In fact, the first time that he came down, they had been worshiping idols that they made out of gold. And out of his anger, Moses just threw down the temples and just, uh, the tablets and crashed them. And, and so he goes back up to the mountain. And, and on the mountains, there's thunder and lightning and these trumpet sounds and there's smoke. And they're just watching it. And he comes down with the new commandments and the people react. Moses, represent us to God. Tell us what to do, and good and like good slaves, we're going to obey so that God won't punish us. But don't let God speak to us because we're afraid of Him. And the two words that are used by Moses in the original language about fear have the same root, but actually they lean towards different definitions. So allow me to reword Moses' statements according to my understanding of the original language of these words. Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid or do not be frightened. Or see God as terrible because God has come to test you so that the fear or the reverence of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. So in other words, don't be afraid and let the reverence or or the reverence is to treat God with great respect so that you'll listen to him. And Moses says, I totally understand. I was afraid when I first met God. I'm walking along and here's this bush it's burning and this voice is coming out i spent 40 years in the in the desert taking care of goats and the, my first interaction is this this strange thing i felt so inadequate so ill-prepared i told god just use someone else but eventually i trusted him and we now have a relationship he speaks to me and what i've learned is that god's rules are not a condition of god's love They are a confirmation of God's love. See, God's rules are not a condition of God's love. They are a confirmation of God's love. And so when God spoke the Ten Commandments, He broke the silence and gave them rules, not in order to save them from Egypt. They already had been saved. They had already been delivered. He gave them rules to keep them safe in the new nation and the new government that He was about to create. And see, God doesn't give you rules to get you saved. He gives you rules to keep you safe. 
Buried in the story of the Ten Commandments is the secret of the balance between God's love and God's law. God wanted to make it very, very clear that you don't perform your way into His goodness. His acceptance is not based on, on behaving better. It's a confirmation of a relationship that already exists. And here's two things that I know about rules. You can tell a lot about a person by the rules that they create. And then you can tell a lot about a person to whom they give their rules. Uh, I, can, I can tell a lot about what you value, what annoys you, what character flaws you have by the rules you create for your family, your business, your sports team, etc. I can tell if you're disciplined, responsible, caring, easily angered, just by the rules that you create for those who are, who are under your care and trusted to you. Uh, one of the biggest concepts that I think differentiates our church from a lot of other churches, uh, Judy and I treat our staff like a family. Um, she spends time with each, each of the wives on an individual basis. And in first service, they go together and they meet and they talk and they pray together uh, after the worship service. Um, I treat our pastors like younger brothers and sons. And why? Because we value family. Um, and sure, I have expectations, just like I have expectations for the children that have lived in my house. I had expectations for them. And I challenged them just like I challenged my children that live with me. And, and I expect them to do their part just like I expected my children to do their part. But at the end of the day, they're not just employees, they're family. And if you're new to Streams Church, that really is our concept. We are family. And yes, we challenge each other. And we have expectations, but we do it out of love and commitment to each other. Which leads me to the second point that we're talking about. You can tell a lot about a person to whom they give their roles. See, I give my roles to my children. They're my kids. God gave them to me. I don't give my roles to your children. They're your kids. And they belong to you. Uh, Sarah, my daughter, lives in Japan. And, and we have a grandson who's 15 months old and a little boy. And she sent us a video just recently of their first sort of discipline time. And uh, she put them in time out and... and she told us, she goes, I had to just hold him in the corner. And he is screaming and he's yelling. And we get to see this video. She's showing it to us, right? And she's talking to us on, on FaceTime. And it was just, it was just, oh my gosh, Dad, it was so difficult. Mom, just difficult. And I just went, <laughs> <laughs> I've been waiting a long time. I actually practice in the mirror. Because <laughs> I used to have to hold her down. But you give your rules to your children, right? Because they're your kids. And you can tell a lot about a person by to whom they give their rules. And we're about to discover what is important to God, and more importantly, who is important to God in the Ten Commandments. So Exodus chapter 20, we're just going to read verses 1 through 3, and this is the New Living Translation. Then God gave the people all these instructions. I am the Lord, your God, who rescued you from the land of Egypt, the place of your slavery. You must not have any other God but me. Understand, these people are in a slave mentality. They have no self-worth. 400 years of waking up every morning and saying, yes, master. No government, no king. Rules changed every day according to how their master felt. No organizational skills. Just blind obedience with absolutely no emotional connection with their taskmaster. 
And Moses comes down from the mountain and they're awaiting their orders. Tell us what to do. And the first thing that he says is, God wants you to know this. I am the Lord, your God. And they're like, Moses, did you say your God? Hmm. Because that sounds personal. That sounds like a relationship. That's like he's saying, it's my God. We've never had a relationship with our master. We're just slaves. We don't even know what that looks like. Uh, just, Just tell God to tell us what to do. You go see him, tell us what to do, and we'll do it. Because we don't understand. So God further defines who he is to them. He says, I am the Lord your God who rescued you from the land of Egypt, the place of your slavery. You're no longer slaves. I rescued you from that. I don't want to be your taskmaster. I don't want to be your slave owner. I am your God and I proved it by rescuing you from slavery. And the only action that God required from all of Israel in this situation was an act of faith. And Moses had told Pharaoh several times, God says, let my people go. But Pharaoh hardened his heart. And we know there was plague after plague after plague after plague. And and Pharaoh would not listen. So finally, the last plague was one night God was going to take away and kill the firstborn of every household. It didn't matter, just every household. And so... To protect Israel, they had to perform this very unique act of faith. At sunset on that night, each family slaughtered a goat or a sheep, a one-year-old male without blemish. And they were to cook the meal and eat it with bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. And now God issues the first sort of command, and it was a command of faith. He says, and it's a little weird, he says, then I want, I want you to take the blood of that animal And I want you to go paint the doorpost and the sides with that blood and put it over your doorway. And if it's over the doorway, the angel of death will pass over. And you're like, wow, that's sort of odd. And it's God's way of saying is, I don't want to be your lawgiver. I want to be your deliverer. I want to be your savior. I want to be your rescuer. And all I need you to do is to trust me with the simple act of faith. And it doesn't make a lot of sense. There's no really, uh, you know, it doesn't make sense just to do this. And so I can almost imagine that they're sitting there at the meal and the family is sitting around and the firstborn's going, Dad, did you put the blood over the doorway? I just want to make sure. Yeah, yeah, I did. You're, you're okay. And can you imagine as it comes down the streets, the crying and the screaming as the angel of death passes and it's getting closer and closer and closer to your house and they're sitting there just waiting and trusting. And having faith that this is going to work. And all of a sudden it passes over and their family's safe. There's nothing they could do except believe and trust. And now they're standing there at Mount Sinai with this memory only three months old of God's deliverance and His power. And here's what Moses discovered and here's what the people found out. That we're not receiving these laws to get in with God. We're already in with God. We're not getting these rules to have a relationship with God. We already have a relationship with God. We're not receiving these laws to start this thing. It's already there. He already is, get this, our deliverer. He already is our rescuer. He's our savior. The one who brought us out of Egypt and out of slavery. A relationship with God is not about rules keeping. It's about trusting 
and faith. Because rules never establish a relationship. They confirm a relationship. You give rules to your children. Now, Israel, I have the first rule for you. Here it is. Are you ready? This is commandment number one. I want to be your one and only God. Your deliverer. Your savior. It was God's marriage proposal. I want to define the relationship and I want to make it exclusive. Would you let me be your God? Perhaps Moses looked up and said, yeah, really? After experience, everything we just experienced, after everything you just did, you reached down at our greatest point of need and you delivered us. We had to have faith and trust you and you set us free. Why would we go get another God? After everything you've done for us. You did all the work. Of course you're my exclusive God. Absolutely. Check. Number one. You know, me. One out of, we only have nine more to go. Number one settled. Yeah. There's, there's a reason why some people reject God. It's because they miss this concept. That God is, is this bully with a ton of rules. And if I do my best, perform at a certain high level get it figured out and do it right, then maybe, just maybe, I can have a relationship with him. And God is saying, whoa, 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 whoa. I never said that. Ever. I never implied that. I didn't even model that in the Ten Commandments. In fact, everything I've done in the past is just the opposite. I desire a relationship first, and I've made the first step to bring you into relationship and accept you unconditionally. The commandments are not a condition for relationship. The commandments are a confirmation of relationship. And 3,000 years ago, God stood on a mountain with the leader of a nation and said, Are you clear on this? I am the Lord, your God, who rescued you out of slavery. And the first thing I want to ask you is this. Would you let me be your God? The one and only 1,400 years later, Jesus was in the upper room with his 12 disciples, celebrating the night the angel of death passed over each house that had the blood on the doorpost. It was called the Passover feast. Listen to his words that night in Luke 22, 14 through 20. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table, and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. And after taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after the supper, he took the cup saying, this is the cup of, my new co- of the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. And in the exact same way that the body and blood of that first sacrificial lamb brought deliverance to Israel, there's a new covenant, a new agreement that the body and blood of the sacrificial lamb, Jesus Christ, will bring deliverance to you. And the first commandment to us is this. I am Jesus, who delivered you from sin and death and slavery by sacrificing myself on the cross for forgiveness. 
Would you let me be your one and only exclusive God? Would you accept that? Because I've already delivered you and I've already set you free. Would you just obey that commandment? Listen to this. Jesus didn't die on the cross because he thought you might get it right. Jesus died on the cross because he knew you wouldn't get it right. (laughs) He wasn't sitting there going, you know, I'm going to die hoping they can figure this out. He died because he goes, you know what, they're going to get it wrong. I just know they're going to get it wrong. So I'm going to take this on for them. And if you don't get this first part, if they didn't in Israel get the first part, all the other rules in the Bible will not make sense to you. And obedience to them will mean nothing to Him. And you can get to heaven one day and say, listen, I, I, did, I did 2 through 10. <laughs> Look at all the things that I did. And they'll say, but you missed one. You did. I don't know you. I mean, that's what the Scripture says. Look at all the things. But I don't know you. You didn't say to me at one point, yes, I want you to be my one and only exclusive God. And there's no other gods but you. You fulfill this command like they did by a simple act of faith. A prayer of salvation. A declaration that I've decided to make Jesus my one and only exclusive God. Here's a prayer which begins a new journey for your life. And I'd like for us to stand. And I'd like for us to say it. And maybe you've never said this prayer before. And maybe you've never obeyed commandment number one before. And you really not made a declaration of this. And today is an opportunity for you to do that. And we're going to pray this. And, and if you've done it before, you can pray it again. I mean, there's nothing wrong with telling your wife you love her more than once, right? <laughs> So let's pray this together. Jesus, I need you. I confess that I've lived my life for myself and I'm truly sorry. I ask you to forgive me and take control of my life. Thank you for forgiving me completely and giving me eternal life. Help me to live every day in a way that pleases you. Amen. The next step in your journey is to let people know that you've prayed that prayer and decided to make Jesus your one and only God. The Bible says that uh, one of the first steps we do to tell people that is by publicly declaring our faith with water baptism. Tonight, 12 people are going to do that at Litchfield Park. And if you know, if you say, you know what, I really, this really meant something to me today, and, and, and I've, I've accepted it, and I think I want to do that. I want to be baptized. Show up with your bathing suit and your towel. And we'll be glad to get the job done. Okay? I wanted today to end with a song of rejoicing. For you have entered into new life. And uh, those who are going to be baptized tonight, it's a celebration. So let's do that. I want to pray one more prayer. And, uh, and then we're going to celebrate all the new life that God has for us and for those people. Father, thank you in the name of Jesus Christ that you knew I was going to get it wrong. And so you died for me to set me free. And you gave me your grace and your salvation. You shed your blood for me. And today I choose to put that upon the doorpost of my heart. By faith, I receive that in the name of Jesus Christ. And I thank you, Father, that you give your rules to your children to keep us safe. So we receive all that. Your love, your grace, your mercy, your strength. 
And we rejoice in the fact today that we are the children of God. And we choose today to fulfill commandment number one, to make you our one and only exclusive God. And if you agree with that, would you say amen? You've been listening to a message from Streams Church in Goodyear, Arizona. Email any questions to streamschurch at msn.com. The mission of Streams Church is very simple, to lead people into their life calling, a relationship with Jesus Christ that is challenging, growing, and purposeful. For more information about service times, location, or events, go to streamschurch.org.